And welcome everyone to the 12th episode of This Week in IU Football. My name is Michael Dugan, Cameron Drummond to the right of me. Cameron, it's been a second. Yeah, it has. It has been, I mean, we've actually not recorded one of these in maybe two to three weeks, so I'm not sure what the multiplication would be on how many exact seconds, but it's been more than one. So you are correct, sir. We're not going to hurt ourselves with doing that, Matt. So Indiana's 5-5. Five and five. One win away from bowl contention. This somehow. Is, this Le- is exactly, somehow. exactly where they should be. The fans should be elated, right? God, I mean, yeah. I mean, I just scratched my brow and just had a really pained expression on my face while giving this answer. Like, Indiana's 5-5, five and five, but come on, man. Like, really? They should be so much better than 5-5 five and five if things had just fallen into place and they had executed better at all the little things that go in to winning a football game. I've been mentioning this to some people. If Indiana goes to a bowl game, if they get six, I mean, they're not going to get seven wins. This Michigan game is kind of like the Ohio State game. It's going to be a throwaway. But if they can get to six wins and reach a bowl game, the way the Big Ten is stacking up right now with the teams that are likely to lose, for example, Maryland, probably not beating Penn State or Ohio State. Um, you're thinking Purdue maybe not making a bowl game if that bucket game is a winner-take-all like last year. The way the Big Ten's shaping up, Indiana is going to get a really good bowl game for a 6-6 six and six team whose best win is probably going to be either Purdue or Virginia. So Virginia's not a bad win, by the way. Virginia's not a bad—I mean, it's a transitive loss to Pitt, so you got to take that into account. But, like— for two consecutive years, Indiana's best win has a good chance of being Virginia. And if Indiana makes a bowl game this season at 6-6 six and six with their best win being either Virginia or Purdue, and they're going to end up going to something like the uh, the Red Box Bowl, which used to be the Foster Farmers Bowl in California, or they'll maybe get the Pinstripe Bowl again. Heck, maybe they'll even get the Gator Bowl in Jacksonville if they luck out and get that. They will get an insanely good bowl game for being a very mediocre 6-6 six and six team on paper, and in person most of the time as well. So I, I think the unofficial official Michael Dugan fan happiness index calculates on a scale of 1 to 100. The Purdue fans are probably closer to like a 75 but right now. But they're trending downward. But they're trending downward. Indiana and Purdue both 5-5. Five and five. Purdue in a far weaker division, a division that's going to send Northwestern to Indianapolis with two weeks to go in the regular season. Well, I think the thing as well about Purdue is you look at the start to the season, obviously terrible. You can't lose at home to Northwestern like that. You definitely can't lose anywhere to Eastern Michigan. So you start out, their fan index must have been super low. Obviously, you go through the revitalization. You knock off a team like Boston College, which has proved to be you know a relatively consistent team in the college football playoff rankings. You go on a nice win streak in the Big Ten, so then you keep jacking up. But the kind of double Miami this past week of getting just flat out smashed at Minnesota along with the news that came out of Louisville and the questions that are inevitably going to keep coming for the next couple weeks about Jeff Brom being retained as head coach at Purdue they're at they were like maybe hit a peak of like an 80 for their fan index but now they are dropping quickly quicker than the temperatures here in Bloomington and the reason I bring that up is because their unofficial official score on my unofficial official index (laughs) is about a 70-75 yeah whereas Indiana with the exact same record and a far tougher division, the fan index is probably at like a, I don't know, a, a, it was probably, going into this week, it was probably like a 15 or a 20. Uh, yeah. Now it's probably at about a 30, 35. We're still less than half. But yeah. we're still, I think, below a 50 and half of what Purdue is, and does that, I want to take a step back and look at this on the grand scheme of things. We'll talk about Michigan, we'll talk about the bucket game and, and the potential bull game in a second, but... Before we do that, I want to take a step back and look at this on a macro scale because a lot of people are displeased with where the program is right now, and I get it because of how many close games they've lost and the manner in which they've lost them. Well, it's also, I mean, it's not like it's just an isolated instant this year either, right? right. Like, you look at what Purdue was 
dating back to God. I don't know when Daryl Hazel took over there. You want to say like twenty eleven? I believe it was two thousand. 11. Somewhere around the early 2010s, and how bad they were for his tenure there. So obviously anything Jeff Brom did was going to be, you know, superior. Take him to a bowl game, winning a bowl game in his first year, again this year kind of being in the mix for that. Obviously the Ohio State win is huge for morale and huge for just a program-building standpoint. So the way they've been able to flip the switch leads to, you know, quicker appreciation on the part of the fans. Indiana's been doing the same thing for like the last... 10 or so years dating back to Kevin Wilson's time here, and I think that's what probably gets people down more than the actual product on the field this season. It's just how similar it feels to the past few seasons where there's been no real tangible sign of progress, whereas for Purdue, it's literally a night and day difference in terms of their progress from just two years ago. Absolutely, and I I believe to me in college football, after year two is when you should really start to see signs one way or another about that coach's destiny. So I think for Tom Allen this season, the bucket game means more than anything because I think it's no hidden secret that, I guess that's redundant, hidden secret. It's no secret (laughs) that Indiana's going to go in and lose to Michigan, I think, in the big house. The only chance I think they stand is Michigan's overlooking Uh, them because that Ohio State game for the Wolverines is the biggest game that that program has seen in an extremely long time. So there's a chance they overlook Indiana and still beat them. Well, that's the flip side. We'll get into that in a second. (laughs) But the bucket game is so big, and we've touched on this before, because starting in year three, that's when people are going to start to make their conclusions about Tom Allen and this coaching regime. You don't want to go 0-2. You can't do that. Tenure against Purdue. You absolutely cannot do that. Regardless of the bowl implications, you lose two in a row to the Boilermakers. I mean, that just puts you in a hole automatically. Yeah, that puts you in a hole automatically. Given the stakes you've shown that maybe thus far mentally you're not quite there with Purdue, Um, and I, I, it's pretty unfair to compare Tom Allen's success to Jeff Brom because of how good of a coach he is, and the situation is different, and he took over a, a worse program in a worse division. So it's unfair to Tom Allen to do that, but the reason I bring it up is because it shows you, you know, where other programs are and, and at what pace they're accelerating, and it also has a direct impact and direct correlation with how your season ends and whether or not you go to a bowl game. You have to beat Purdue more often than they beat you if you're Indiana, regardless of if you're one and eleven or if you're five and six going into that final game. You simply have to beat them. Well, I just think the juxtaposition this year of that Ohio State game is looming so large. Honestly, just because it's the game that Indiana always plays close and never wins for the last decade or so, like I've mentioned, or really forever, honestly. They haven't beaten Ohio State since, I think, 1988. And then Purdue, with Jeff Brom in only his second year, is able to flip the switch under the lights in the big moment on national television and not only, you know, squeak out a win, but they soundly beat the Buckeyes. And I think, I mean, it's it's unfair, but it's that kind of gratification that Indiana fans have been seeking for so long from their football program, and they never seem to get, whereas Purdue was able to get it almost instantaneously in only Brom's second season. Both teams are probably going to go into this bucket game at five and six i don't really see purdue i could see purdue you know kind of snowballing and having another poor performance against wisconsin this weekend they haven't beaten them i think since the early 2000s wisconsin is bad though uh, Wisconsin's in the a West is so hard to figure out. Like, Nebraska is honestly the hottest team Oh, no, it's, team in the it's Big easy Ten to West. figure out. It's just bad. <laughs> That's what there is to figure out. The West is just bad. I mean, Iowa, it, it really is. It's such a head-scratcher. 
It really is. I mean, this, the thing about this Indiana season, too, is the trajectory of it changes completely. One, if they don't completely lay an egg against Iowa in the homecoming game. That's a fact. But if they draw anyone else from the Big Ten West this season, except for Iowa, they happen to draw Illinois for a second straight year. They happen to draw Nebraska when Nebraska was kind of mired in that 0-6 start. Um, I mean, yeah, they got Minnesota, too, and didn't take care of business in that one. But I guess that just kind of goes into the notion of, you know, the cliche comes up again, missed opportunities, missed moments where Indiana could have changed the course of the season. And, again, neither of us are expecting it to come against Michigan this weekend, but it's almost like the approach of, all right, just get through this game, no one get hurt, don't have Stevie Scott, you know, get a concussion, don't have Peyton Ramsey's arm fall off, don't have any significant defensive players, any of your linebackers or key secondary guys like Marcelino Ball, or Jonathan Crawford, you know, tear their ACL, just get through this game unscathed, and then you kind of go guns, you know, blazing for the bucket game. I will say this in defense of Tom Allen, and then I want to get your take on it. Earthquakes happen where... San Francisco the, knows that, yeah. The, where the dust kind of becomes unsettled and rises into the air, like the Indiana loss to Michigan State, the loss to Penn State, the loss to Minnesota. Mm -hmm. Compare that to the Purdue win against Ohio State. Those are those earthquakes. Yeah. But at the end of the day, the dust settles. And breakthroughs for programs far more often than not do not happen on one given evening. Right. That Purdue win against Ohio State could have been their breakthrough moment. But they moment. obviously didn't flip the switch because you saw what happened last exactly. week. Exactly. At the same time, they go in and they lay an egg against Minnesota. You Is think, Minnesota good? I don't know. Well, that's too, that's <laughs> that's worth another show. Uh, we'll, we'll, have, we'll start another podcast called Is Minnesota Good? where we talk about them week in and week out. Um, <laughs> but eventually the dust settles. And Indiana beats Maryland the same day Purdue gets absolutely embarrassed by Minnesota the same way Indiana hung with Minnesota and got embarrassed down the stretch. So my point is the dust settles and breakthroughs don't happen overnight far more often than not. Nick Saban lost to Louisiana Monroe at home his first year in Alabama. He didn't get one signature win that's kind of sprung him into what he is right now. Maybe his first national championship, you could argue, but it was a process. You lose these tough games. Nick Saban loses to Louisiana Monroe at home, and he learns from that. His players learn from that. It's all about establishing a culture. So this is why I will come to Tom Allen's defense right now, and I understand it's just the same movie over and over again, and I've only been following the program for so long, I can't really tell a 40-, 50-year-old fan to just be patient because they've been hearing that for 40, 50 years. But eventually the dust settles. And if I know, if we know one thing about Tom Allen, it's that the locker room bought into him immediately. Mm -hmm. I think that's pretty tough to disagree with. And the guys love him. And he's created a culture that can be a winning culture. We, it just isn't yet. So eventually the dust settles. And when the earthquake of Purdue beating Ohio State and Indiana losing to Penn State settles and the dust settles and they both lose to Minnesota and Indiana comes back and beats Maryland. It's all kind of on a level playing field and it's a marathon, not a sprint. And I think that's, that's, it's easy to get caught up in that earthquake when it's happening and kind of revert back to, to thinking about that and talking about that when the dust finally does settle. But at the end of the day, both teams are five and five. And if Tom Allen can handle and beat Purdue on that last weekend in November, the narrative that's been kind of built up throughout this entire season, you can almost ball that up and throw it in the recycling bin because we're environmentally conscious, right? You've been talking for a while, kind of zoned out towards the end there, but I heard something about being environmentally conscious and recycling. 
Um, so yeah, save our planet, everyone. Please be sure to recycle. Here's the thing about earthquakes and program-defining moments. And we, and by we, I mean me and some of the uh, other beat reporters, in particular Murphy Wheeler and Sean Minturt, who work with us at the Indiana Daily Student, we circled one game on Indiana's calendar as the most important game of the season, the most significant game, to kind of gauge where this program was at and if anything was changing. And it wasn't the Ohio State game, and it wasn't even the Penn State game. It was kind of the Iowa game, but that was like maybe, you know, just kind of a a throwaway benefit game if you want it. The real game we circled was at Minnesota because that's the game that Indiana football has lost for the entirety of this kind of mediocre stretch since the Bill Mallory years. And if they can go out on a Friday night, weird type of environment against a team they very rarely play in a game that was probably going to be very crucial to their bull hopes and take care of business and win, and even win soundly, okay, then you can see signs of progress, then you can see something changing, maybe not overnight, but at least that they're getting better in the types of games that you would expect Indiana football to win, and they didn't do that this year. Yes, that that's 100% correct, and I think that's the loss that people are going to look back on, regardless of what happens in the bucket game, but especially if that's a loss to Purdue. Right. That's the, that's the game people are going to look back on and say, man, that one stings. Because the opportunity to go 7-5 and five in the Big Ten East if you're not Michigan State, Michigan, Penn State, or Ohio State, that's a really, really, really good year. Right. And... Yeah, it's 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 a you know it, it's different with the crossovers and um, and whatnot, but that but that's that, a game that's that people are going to look have to back take on. Care of. That's the thing you have to go in. You have exactly. You, I mean, winning your non-conference games the way Indiana kind of cherry picks its non-conference games to be just difficult enough to where you still should be expected to win. I know Virginia is a lot better than probably everyone thought Virginia was going to be this year. But then you have to take care of business against the weaker Big Ten teams in non-conference. It was very unsatisfactory last season how Indiana's two Big Ten wins were Rutgers and Illinois, the two worst teams in the conference last year. Right now, Indiana's wins are shaping up to be Rutgers and Maryland. Maryland a bit better than Illinois was last year. But you have to add something to that. Two consecutive years of going 2-7 and seven in conference play will not earn you many sympathizers. I don't care how tough... The conferences, unless you're playing in the SEC, uh, what's the SEC West is where Bama is, right? Mm-hmm. I'm bad with directions. Unless you're playing the SEC West, and even then, you still get to play Vanderbilt. Yeah, exactly. So let's let's talk about X's and O's. Let's briefly talk about Michigan. Whew, uh, they're good. They they are good, and this is a uh, I think a better version of the team that we saw in 2016. That was. Six inches away from the Big Ten Championship and, and was, probably the college football playoff. In that playoff. season, that was obviously the last time Indiana visited Michigan Stadium, and I think they lost 20-10. to 10 It was a close game. In the snow on very similar, I mean, it was a national TV broadcast, very cold day. Uh, Richard Lago was a quarterback then, obviously. And Indiana hung with them for a bit, but again, weather conditions kind of limited scoring on all sides of the ball that game. The last three years, there's really no compelling argument you could make that would suggest Michigan is going to handle Indiana based off head-to-head matchups. Right. Because the two times they've played in Bloomington, they've gone to overtime and the one time they played in the big house it was a competitive game it was a very competitive game the basically the entire way and that was michigan's best team under jim harbaugh but i think you can say this is also i mean this kind of supplants that team as yes i I think this team is better i think the defense for michigan is right on par with what it was and they have a more improved offense with an established running game Mm -hmm. which they, they have while it's not an explosive offense they have options because that offensive line for michigan is getting great push and karan higdon is is 
making plays. And I think Shea Patterson's been a little bit exactly. better than I expected him to be. Shea this Patterson's season. taking care of the football, which is something he didn't do well at Ole Miss. And they've got great receivers. The one thing they don't have is a Jake Butt type of guy. Yeah. That tight end where you can just kind of dump it to, and said, he's their safety net. You said Butt. I said Butt, yeah. <laughs> kind of like the Mike Gasicki of Michigan. They like Michigan and Penn State have had safety nets at tight ends for the last five to seven years. The thing is, though, if you took, for example, Iowa's tight ends, either of them, oh, yeah. both of them who notched over 100 yards against Indiana and put them on Michigan, then you'd just be making like a super team at this point. I think that Michigan team would be the third best team in the country. Right. Uh, but they don't have that Jake Butt, the Mike Kosicki, the Noah Fance, the TJ Hawkins. They haven't really needed him, though. Or they haven't needed him. Or a type of player like that, just because if you watched any of Michigan's dominating home shutout win over Penn State, that defense is just so suffocating and going to allow points at such a low rate that Michigan doesn't need to score 35 points a game to win. They can score 24 and probably feel pretty comfortable about coming out with a W. Against most teams. Yeah. Against a team like Indiana, against a team like Maryland. Maybe not against Ohio State. Ohio State's a complicated case right now. Right. Um, Michigan-Maryland was, that was an early season Big Ten game, and yeah. that, was a, that was bad for, yeah, for Maryland. it was. But for, for from an Indiana standpoint, this is a Michigan team that's not going to trick you you know, they're not going to Maryland you, which I I didn't really understand Tom Allen's philosophy going into that game to protect the pass and kind of let them run because all they do is run, but right. whatever. Um, this it's is funny because, just real quick to Maryland, after Maryland had the quarterback change due to the injury to um, uh, Kasim Hill. Hill, Maryland's passing game got a lot better. Yeah. And so even the strategy of, okay, we're going to allow Maryland to run the ball because we're afraid of the deep ball going over our heads – didn't quite work out because Maryland still had success in the passing game with their backup quarterback, yeah. but that's neither here nor there. I that. wasn't really sure what was going on there, but the good news for Tom Allen is he doesn't have to pick one over the other this week because Michigan's going to do an equal amount of both, <laughs> and they have good players at both uh, areas of the game. So The good news is Michigan's good at everything, that's guys. Exactly. So Tom Allen doesn't have to choose. He has to defend both of them. Um, but look, this is a Michigan team that's a very vanilla Offense, it's like a very good vanilla ice cream. It's gonna get the job done. I'm about done. to go to Culver's after this podcast. Man, I want some vanilla custard. Oh, say right hello now. to John Laskowski for me. I will. Um, it, it's a, it's. I compare Michigan's offense to a very, very solid vanilla ice cream. It's something that's gonna get the job done far more often than not. Uh, it's not gonna got, knock I mean, your socks off. It's not gonna win any awards. Maybe there's some M and M's in yeah, there. Yeah, a little Maybe bit of hot fudge, some chocolate type stuff. Like when needed, they can kind of you know turn the dial up to twelve. Exactly. It's not. An award-winning, unique flavor full of whipped cream, sprinkles, M&Ms, uh, whatever you want to put on yours, whipped cream and a cherry, the, the finest whipped cream and the, and the juiciest cherry you can find. It's not that. It's just a very, very solid vanilla ice cream with a couple of toppings that you enjoy. It's not going to win an award, but it's going to get the job done nine times out of ten. I know the comparison in talent between Indiana and Michigan is qu quite substantial, so it would be unfair to say, oh, Indiana can turn into Michigan in five years. But Michigan is kind of the template for what Tom Allen wants to build at Indiana, right? A team that leans on its defense but has a good enough offense with just enough skill position players to be able to generate points on the board when needed, but the backbone of the team will always be the defense. Yeah, which has been oddly not the case sometimes this year for Indiana. Oh, absolutely not. No, um, the defense has... It's taken a step back, yeah. It's and they've replaced a lot of big shoes with T. Gray Scales and Richard Fant, but the defense has taken a step back. Uh, but this is a great test, I think, at this time of the year for the defense. They've had a rough last couple of outings, and this is a Michigan really offense. Have, really haven't had a good outing since, oh, goodness. Ever. Virginia? Rutgers, Rutgers was fine. I mean, the, the problem with the defense this season, it's been a season-long problem, but just it's really manifested itself in Big Ten Conference play, 
has been the all-or-nothing aspect. Either you get a fumble, you get an interception, you get some kind of a takeaway, or you allow a touchdown. Yeah. They just haven't forced enough punts and gotten off the field via the punt or via, okay, we allowed a first down, but then we shut you down for a three and out the next series. So it's just kind of been a real all-or-nothing thing on the defense. And again, that's kind of promoted itself all season long. But we'll see what happens this Saturday. I think, as you mentioned, kind of having been a vanilla offense you're going against, you kind of know what to expect from Michigan. So will that help the defense out in terms of getting off the field when they're not picking off Shea Patterson or forcing Kron Higdon to lose the ball? I guess that remains to be seen. But that's the test. That's the challenge. It is. And the good news is I think the, the kryptonite for Tom Allen and his defense this season has been – you know, unexpectedly, Tanner Morgan jumping into P.J. Flex offense and doing some tricky things mm-hmm. and trying to handle Tyler Johnson at running back and Maryland sending two guys in motion pre-snap every right. single time and you not really knowing what they're going to do with or it. Just having a quarterback switch in the second quarter of the game. Right. With Michigan, you know what you're going to get. They may run a jet sweep. They may run a halfback pass, and if they do, they'll probably score on it. But they probably won't do that. What they're going to do is they're going to run it on first down. They're going to run play action on second down. They're going to throw it on third and long. They're not going to trick you. And when Tom Allen faces offenses like that, which is far and few between in the Big Ten these days, but when he does face those offenses in the last two seasons, he's done a pretty damn good job of that. And What do your examples be then? Michigan. Point to? Well, couldn't I point to Wisconsin? You, well, year. Wisconsin last year was different because they had a Heisman candidate at running back. Michigan doesn't have that, with the exception of a Heisman candidate at any position. Michigan doesn't really have that. Michigan State this year was kind of in a, between. In, in between. But it was also a different Michigan State team than exists. Exactly, now. and that defense provided a lot of points, both directly and indirectly, in that game. Um, but no, with, with Michigan teams of the past, and um, I Rutgers is kind of an anomaly there. They don't right. really count, but I'm, I'm trying to think of these other teams. But Michigan State two years ago when he was the defensive coordinator, they played well. Um, he's just he's had some moments against offenses like this. And I don't mean that to sound like a backhanded compliment because basically what I'm saying now is the simpler the offense, the better he defends it. But with the lack of leadership that the defense has seen and the inconsistent play from its just what the should be leaders. To having Jacob Robinson exactly. really not be a factor since the Ball State game. We've seen, you know, assorted bits of Marshall Ball going out with injuries. Jonathan Crawford is your senior leader in the secondary, but he has had a, a fair amount of missed tackles this season. Uh, linebacking core has kind of been by committee. You've had, you know, three guys, Raquan Jones, Damian Willis Jr., T.D. Roof, all step up and do good jobs. Thomas again, Allen. Thomas Allen even as well. But again, you don't have that one dominating go-to presence, which is probably why Indiana's had... I mean, it's really rudimentary to say, but had more success this year against the simpler offenses they've played. Right, and I think that matches up against an, a Michigan offense that has the same exact template. You know, they don't have a T. Gray Scales or a Richard fan. They have Donovan Peoples-Jones, which is Jonathan Crawford. They have Shea Patterson, which is, you know, insert linebacker here, or Marcelino Ball, <laughs> T.D. Yeah. Roof, or Thomas Allen. Um, they've got Karan Higdon, who, you know, just name a guy. There's the Michigan offense... Is kind of the same template where there's no superstar that they lean on. It's just a balanced attack. So this is a good opportunity for Indiana to come together as a unit defensively and just play solid kind of like they did for portions of that Ohio State game. Don't lean on one unit because you're not going to have to. Michigan's going to attack you very with a very balanced attack. So, look, I think this is a chance for Indiana to show up and play really well. I don't, I don't envision this being a blowout game. I don't envision Michigan 
you know, running up 42 to 10. I don't see that happening. I'll be surprised if that does happen. Jordan, I think this is a big opportunity for Indiana. They won't win, but I think this is a big opportunity for them to compete. You're right. I don't see 42 to 10. I see 42 to 7. Oh, jeez. Well, there it so, is. So here's the thing. Like, so what's what's the success of this game? I mean, this is, this is literally the same question that, I guess, Indiana fans have to grapple with when Indiana goes to Penn State when the Nittany Lions are good or when they go to Ohio State, like, every year that Ohio State has a football program. But what constitutes success? Where should the expectation be going to this game? What should Indiana fans be happy with? as a final result. Well, is I, it on the scoreboard? Is it on the field? Is it in personnel just not getting hurt? Is it, you know, what are you looking for? I think that, well, that depends on the person. And for me personally, if I'm an Indiana fan and that team shows up and they force a couple of turnovers and they can pick apart the Michigan defense for a drive or two and show signs of life for more than one possession and, and not consistently, you know, pick apart those units because those are very sound and solid Michigan units offensively and defensively. But if they can clean up special teams, show signs of life, and at times be a step ahead of Michigan and hang in the game and cover, then I think, yeah, that's a pretty respectable what's the, week. What's the spread looking at right now, then? Let's check right now. If I had to guess, I would say... 20, the live spread. I would say 27 and a half. No way. I'll take the under on that. You think that's way too much? I think that's way too much. An estimated spread? Yeah, I think that's way too much. Uh, we're doing the live spread right now. This this may change depending on when you're looking at it. Um, but as of right now, that line stands at Michigan. Oh, you got to be kidding me. What did you say? I said 27 and a half. 28 right now Ooh, is the line. Ooh, look at that. I stand corrected. that one. I stand corrected. That means it's very similar to the spread for the Ohio State game was in the middle of the week. Yeah, I'll take the under on, on 28. Like, based on my conditions, I'll take the under on that, too. I think Indiana can cover 28. Yeah. That doesn't seem hard to me. Not necessarily I'm not sure Michigan scores 28 points. Not necessarily because Indiana's going to score a ton of points like in the Ohio State game. I just don't think that Michigan's going to score more than maybe 38, or like 38-42 in that range. And, yeah, I think Indiana can put 17 points on the board. Yeah, I think so too. I th- look, this is a game that could go forty-two to seven, like Michigan did to Penn State. Yeah. Or this is a game that could be twenty to ten, like it was a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, so I'll ask you ten seconds or less, lightning round here. Yeah. What constitutes a win, a moral win, or a positive week for Indiana and Ann Arbor? Uh, just like Ohio State, Indiana shows a bit more flair offensively. They continue to build off of the downfield passing that they had success with against Maryland. Nobody gets hurt. Nobody gets hurt on defense in particular. And you give Stevie Scott 10 to 15 carries, you at least give him the opportunity to have success. You don't just rely on Peyton Ramsey. Plug your stuff. Indiana Daily Student Football Coverage can be found at IDSnews.com, on Twitter at IDS underscore sports. You can follow myself, Cameron Drummond, along with Sean Mintert and Murphy Wheeler, because guess what? We are driving the six hours from Bloomington to Ann Arbor. We're making the... Careful on those roads. We're making the drive on Friday, so hopefully it won't be too slippery or anything. Spending the whole day there Saturday, returning on Sunday just in time to catch Indiana-Arkansas on the television for men's basketball. Uh, it's been a loaded week for us, especially me and Murphy, because we also cover the men's basketball team, so going to cover the Marquette game, got Michigan, then Arkansas, then a couple weeks we'll probably be heading out to Duke as well. So the travel doesn't rest, but the content never sleeps. The content never sleeps, but sometimes it gets hungry, so you go get your Culver's. Dude, I'm excited. You started talking about that vanilla stuff. I was getting mad hungry. In yeah, here. I could tell. All right, we'll get out of here. Go get yourself a <laughs> burger and some Thank custard. You. Brian, now I turn my attention to you. There was a win inside Memorial Stadium on Saturday, and unfortunately you were not there to witness it, but what did you see from the comfort of your own couch? Well, you know, we talked uh, last week about um, uh, some good schemes, and I, and I think that 
the, the, when you win, the schemes look a lot better. I thought offensively, uh, you know, there was some throwing downfield, which opened up the running game. You put up 32 points. Uh, that, that's a good effort. Uh, I thought maybe uh, a little bit in the late third, early fourth quarter, um, there was some struggle there to put the game away. Um, offensively, really proud of the Indiana program to come back and execute in the last four and a half, five minutes to get the win. Um, I thought defensively, sounded like Coach Allen uh, knew that uh, he didn't want to give up big plays, so he allowed um, a little bit bend but don't break. And for the most part, that worked, holding teams to field goals. Uh, again, the, the only questionable thing is, is losing a, a 16-point lead in the, in the late third, early fourth quarter. But when uh, finally a finish, and um, – the team has been fighting all year long and has come back. And this time, um, with the Justice field goal, a win. And that win was much needed after a long month of, of struggles. And that win is also needed because you play two more games and Indiana is going to be playing for a chance to go to bowl eligibility regardless of, of who the opponents are. And that's always good for practice purposes. So that was a good Saturday. It was a good win. Uh, a good win kind of in the way that it happened, even though I don't think we want to dial that up every week. Um, but yeah, a, a win's a win in college football and, and you got to be pleased. Now you talked about the way they won it and schematically at Tom Allen's press conference after the game, he said that he just did not want to get beat through the air and did not want to get beat deep. I found that was an interesting approach to that game. Just given how Maryland's quarterbacks, that whole unit plays they don't throw the ball that often Kasim Hill Tyro Pigram whoever's in those guys don't throw the football so I was really caught off guard by that comment by him post game did you feel the same way I, I did um but but after letting it sit for a while it kind of made sense because go back to the Minnesota game and, and the thought of a new quarterback uh they didn't throw the ball extremely well and I think they sold out to stop the run uh, and wanted to effectively stop the run at Minnesota and the RPOs and the slants and then the long pass to win the game cost Indiana a victory. And, and I think uh, and I'll have to give credit to Coach Allen here. He came back and said, yes, we can sell out and stop the run. But if we lose, maybe with our youth, maybe with what's going on um, in our defense, if we just give up a, a freak play where a double move is not executed correctly, that's the way Maryland can score. We're not sure they can break those against the run, even though they're a better running team. And sometimes as a coach, it's always, um, do, you, do you go after the strength and, t and try to stop the strength, and then someone surprisingly beats you? Or do you allow the strength to do what it does, but don't let others beat you? And, and I, again, I'm more of a basketball guy, but do you try to stop the, the star player, or do you let the star player get his and stop the others and it looked like coach allen made a decision that he did not want to see some of those pass plays some of those long gains uh in the pass play that can happen against teams that aren't good passing teams so yeah i was shocked michael when i heard it i was like ben but don't break allow field goals i didn't really like that at first but then when i sat back and thought about it i thought um you know they, they had been beaten by some big plays and when you look at there was a 50 yard pass play on the winning touchdown drive um, I think um, our, our defensive back came up to jam the wide receiver and got beat off the line, and it was a, a cor uh, you know, a, 
post pattern across the middle down to the six-yard line, which gave Maryland the, the win. So he went in there trying to stop that, and right there showed how dangerous that could have been, uh, even with a non-passing team. So um, I, as disappointed as I've been in schemes and coaching, I, you know, I will also say that uh, I, I think Coach Allen um, – made some choices and sometimes you win with some choices you make and sometimes you lose and he came out a winner this week. I want to nitpick one more thing potentially something that I found questionable in game was that timeout before the field goal. What was going through your mind when he called that timeout? You know we, we talked last week too about fan and coach right the, the fan of me is going have your decision made send your team on save your timeouts in case it's missed uh, to get the ball back. Um, and, and then the timeout was there, and I was like, "That is that bad decision-making? That's the fan in me. The coach in me says, okay, this is the game winner. It's 42 yards. We believe in our kicker. We believe in our special teams, but this is so big. Let's take a timeout, send the team out without rushing, without hurrying up, without a chance for a false start, hopefully – Everyone's calmed down. Go do your job. So the, after a while, the coach in me, and both of those questions you've asked, the fan in me agrees. The coach in me sits back and says there's a lot more to decisions than, um, than meets the eye sometimes. And so I could understand that. I probably still would prefer to have that team ready. Uh, if, we, if Indiana doesn't get it, rush out there and, and do what you do and force the other team to take a timeout. But I don't think there was anything inherently wrong with that unless he, the field goal was missed and you're down one timeout to try to get that ball back. That's what I kind of fell back on, and that's what was going through my head when he called it because in his postgame press conference, he said that they knew the whole way they were going to kick it. So I'm thinking, okay, then maybe on third down, have your field goal unit ready. Once you don't get it, trot them out there. They've got 40 seconds to get set and kick it. That's plenty of time. Calling the timeout doesn't really run off that much clock uh, compared to just kind of waiting for the play clock to get down and then snapping it and kicking it. And I just thought, look, if, if Justice misses this, the Hoosiers are going to lose this game because they only have two timeouts. He's going to really wish he had that timeout uh, at some point in this next drive. I was almost certain of it, but glad I was wrong. And I'm very glad that you said that, uh, brought a coaching perspective from that, because I, I tried to convince myself of that mindset, but I just couldn't shake. What if he missed it? There are no guarantees in football, in sports, in life. And if he misses that, I, he's going to really want that timeout, but but I'm glad it paid off. Okay, let's let's stop nitpicking. I've been a little too negative coming off of the first win in a very long time. Uh, so what are some positives that you saw offensively? Because I think that was the most comfortable Peyton Ramsey has looked in the pocket and making decisions in a pretty long time. Yeah, and I thought some of the issues, again, from our perspective with Ramsey is decision-making, not necessarily arm strength. At the beginning of the year, I was wondering if he could complete some of those passes. But I think I, I wonder if it was just he's waiting a second or two. And, and I agree with you that he – he really looked poised and he looked confident in the game plan and, and really set the tone uh, and got going early. It was, it was kind of a tough first quarter simply because of time of possession. Uh, but once the second quarter got going, I thought you saw uh, the offense that a lot of Indiana fans have, have wanted to see and got off to a pretty good um, you know, lead at going into halftime and then did some nice things second half. I, I think that's the way Indiana's offense ha has to be. You know, the running and the passing combination, when, when you do that, 
you have a chance to win. It, it helps that it was Maryland, a, a team that's in a similar kind of a year as Indiana. Uh, but again, if, if that approach and that performance by Ramsey happens at Minnesota, I think we're already bowl eligible. And, and Indiana is really close to, to doing that, even though they didn't play uh, execute as well in that game. So I was really pleased with the, the passing game. Uh, I just think we've talked the assets at the wide receiver um, spot position are just, you know, they're, they're too talented not to use. And, and it was nice to see the scheme being to uh, go to the strength. And then it opened up Stevie Scott again. And, and then the offensive line, how about the offensive line and the running game there at the last drive? Uh, just uh, started off with a great special teams return of our own for a change. And then right down the field until uh, we decide, Indiana decides to kick the field goal. So I was pretty happy with Peyton Ramsey, the wide receivers, the, the offense as a whole uh, on Saturday. So the, the Hoosiers are 5-5 five and five right now, basically where everyone expected they would be at this point in the season. So tell me why I'm right and then tell me why I'm wrong that fans should be content right now, fairly content, because this is where we expected them to be, five and five, one shot at a bowl game with two games to go. You, you are correct in, in the fact that you play uh, to win six games at Indiana. And, and anything over that is is really more than, than what's expected. And that's, I think, an honest evaluation of where the Indiana football program is. And there are two games to get that done, including the bucket game, uh, in Memorial Stadium at home um, with a team that's got some question marks recently from a lot of issues. So all of a sudden, you know, a couple weeks happened and, and Indiana football was in despair and it's back. So that's the reason to, to be optimistic. Where you're wrong on that comment is uh, this has been the brand of Indiana football. Five wins going into the bucket game. This will be the possibly the fourth year unless they pull up pull off an upset. This will be, I believe, the fourth year in a row that it's been five wins going in. Uh, we've talked about the brand of Indiana football, playing close to some opponents only to lose late in the fourth quarter, playing against big. And where you, I think one win does not wash away the concerns we had a week ago where this program has talked breakthrough, talked finish, and has not beaten a ranked opponent uh, consistently and gotten those big wins to take the program a step further and uh, you know, the ups and downs with uh, offenses and defenses and special teams. So that's where you would be wrong where you're right. is I think most fans, uh, we need to realize that we're in a fight to get to six and we're still fighting right now to get to six. And, and if it happens, then all of a sudden we're having a great uh, holiday season planning to watch the bowl game and watch parties and all of those things and some of the ups and downs, the negatives that we see go away, and that's still in Indiana's grasp. And you have to give credit to the coaching staff to withstand all of the noise that we give and the fans give and, and, the, and the low attendance and all of those things to keep fighting. And I think that's ultimately the positive that I take away, that uh, I think the football staff and the football players really care about turning this around. They've just struggled this year, and, boy, I, I, I hope uh, – in two weeks, uh, they get rewarded, and, and some of that negativity can be put to bed until next season. And it doesn't dismiss, Michael, that this program really needs to take an inward look to get to that next level because mediocre, you know, four, five, six wins, it gets old after a while. But 
I'd rather take six and uh, think about that come spring football. You're absolutely right. And I, I, I want to address this, that I, I feel like the narrative surrounding the difference between Indiana and Purdue right now is that, in, is that Purdue is in much better hands with Jeff Brom and in a much better state than Indiana, when in reality, the Hoosiers and the Boilers are both 5-5 five and five and Indiana plays in a far more difficult division. So I, I want to kind of pump the brakes on that narrative that I think has been kind of taken as a fact and a lot of the negativity surrounding Tom Allen and this program. Because at the end of the day, this is a numbers-driven league, numbers-driven sport. And if you're not winning on the field, then nothing else really matters after a certain period of time. And he's winning just as much as Jeff Brom is right now. So I just kind of want to give him his credit where credit is due right there. But now I want to look at Michigan. Uh, the spread last I saw was 28 points in favor of the Wolverines. Tell me why Indiana has a shot in this game, if they do at all. Well, I think I think they've shown at times to raise to the le- to rise to the level of their competition. Um, they go they go into Columbus and with four or five minutes to go in the third quarter, have a chance to cut that down that game down to a one possession game. Um, and again, as much as there's frustration, I, I think this team really fights and, and wants to to defeat the perception that that the program has and at sometimes they've done that and at other times they failed at, at defeating that perception so for indiana to have a chance you know michigan it's a, it's a one of those games trap games where you know michigan's looking forward to a playing ohio state who they haven't beaten in their annual rivalry if they beat indiana and beat ohio state they're already talk about them being in the championship playoff now those are that's wishful thinking as a fan of Indiana, but sometimes those things happen, and, and then all of a sudden, a takeaway or two, a thirty-yard drive by Indiana for a touchdown, the pressure starts building. That uh, next week is for naught, maybe if 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 we don't go, that's the way Indiana has a chance. And, and again, short of short of uh, I think the Iowa game. I think Indiana has competed for the most part uh, and and then just found a way to lose or found a way to not uh, play complete games. So one could look at that and say they have a chance. Uh, Michigan's solid, and they've really turned it on late half of the year. And so I think it's a real minimal chance, but that's why you play the game and you don't do it. You don't just write it down on paper and, and advance that way. Uh, I, I do like the fight the Hoosiers have, and, and I'm looking forward to watching the game. It is a minimal chance, and I will say the last three matchups against Michigan, two of them have gone into overtime, and the other one was a close game with Michigan's best team in, under Jim Harbaugh by far in 2016. Uh, this, Well, this team, I think, is a little bit better. I think it's, it's that defense with a slightly better offense, but I also think this will be a closer game than the spread indicates. But yes, you're right. It is, there is a, a slim chance that Indiana can walk into Ann Arbor and win this game, although it is a trap game for Michigan. But what are you looking for? If, if, if I tell you the preface of this is Indiana is going to lose this game what are you going to come out of or what do you need to see to come out of that game thinking positively or thinking better about this team than you did going into it well I mean I I always in these games just want to see Indiana compete Um, and I want to see them tackle well I want to see them prevent the big plays Uh, if Indiana loses to Michigan I'd like at the end of the afternoon early evening to sit back and go wow that was a football game it wasn't just an exhibition where a good team was playing a poor team. Uh, you know, so can we can we execute in the run game? Can we complete some passes? 
can we have some drives? Can we finish, uh, you know, and score some points? It's just how the game is played. And I think that's ultimately the frustration of a Minnesota game, of an Iowa game, of the finishes against Penn State and, and, and Michigan State, that those were the – those were the they, – they just were blah parts of, of those games. To avoid those types of things in Saturday's games, I think, is very, very important from a fan's point of view. Uh, and I've used the word consistent. Uh, this football team – Fights, at times it plays well, at times it plays poorly. The consistency from week to week, the consistency within the game has been very disappointing. And so if there was one word, Michael, I would choose, I would choose consistency. A play Saturday, um, results being win or loss. Now, if Indiana does lose on Saturday, they obviously go into that bucket game five and six. Fill in the blank for me. That's that would be the most important or or vital bucket game or significant bucket game since blank. Wow! I, I, well, the two thousand seven game was huge, um, and and then I think that the the two that got, I mean, I think it's the since what would it be two thousand sixteen, because um, it's the same thing as as the last two Wilson led teams. You win, you go to a bowl, and you lose, and you go home. And, or maybe even last year, same same scenario. You you win, you go, and, and you know you would like to come in and just play carefree and have that bowl eligibility already locked up. Um, but I think it is so important for another month of practice to bring recruits in to show them while you're practicing for a bowl to reward the players for all their hard work to go out and travel um, to get the swag. Um, those it is hugely important, and it was last year, and it was the three, you know the last three years that bucket game has been important, and the bucket game is just important because it's important to beat Purdue. So it is, you know, I just think it's the last three years have been the same as what I believe it's going to be this year, um, and it'll be a fun game to watch. Regardless of what happens in Ann Arbor, we are going to have a lot to talk about with that game. Uh, and for Indiana fans, I guess it's a sign of comfort to see what Minnesota did to Purdue last weekend, just a few uh, few hours, excuse me, after Indiana picked up the first win in a pretty long time. Brian, thank you for joining me. Where can people find your stuff? You can follow me on Twitter at Sony42. Our, our high school sports uh, place is at SportsTons and at Delphi Brackets. DelphiBracketology.com website has uh, been revamped, and we're doing a lot of basketball work. Now I know this is a football podcast. Uh, Sports Talk with Tom Sony does a little uh, college football preview stuff as well. Uh, but look for us and our students here at Delphi Community High School uh, to do a lot of that sports work. We appreciate you uh, allowing us to uh, share that information and, and be on the show today. Absolutely. Delphi Brackets does great stuff. Give them a follow, absolutely. And Brian, while we're on the topic, real quick, how about those hardwood Hoosiers last night? That was so enjoyable, Michael. You, you know, the, the feeling from the last few years is, can Indiana win a game like that? And I think now the narrative is going to change is uh, we expect wins and losses are going to be sho- uh, a little bit shocking. That's the way uh, I grew up with Indiana basketball, and that's a little bit closer to the blue blood uh, uh, type of team that we wish for. And it was just fun to see a dominant effort against a ranked opponent early in the season and look for good things to continue. A lot of positives out of that one. A lot of positives out of that one. Hopefully they can send some vibes 
to the football team this weekend. Brian, thanks again for joining me. Thanks, Michael.